This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Great to have with us today, University of Buffalo assistant men's basketball coach, Jamie Quarles. Coach, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited. All right. So when people typically hear Buffalo, they still think Nate Oates. What was the impact that Coach Oates had, not just on the program, because I'm sure his finger fingerprints are still all over it, and probably part of the reason is because of you. So you want to talk about kind of like just him and – how you ended up there at Buffalo and kind of just in general, maybe about like what you do there at the school now. Nate had a, a, a unbelievable impact. Uh, for one, I'm grateful because he, you know, he took a chance on me. Uh, he didn't know me. Uh, one of my best friends in the business and in life uh, was working for him on staff, Brian Hodgson. And, you know, they had an opening and he was, uh, had two NBA guys previously in the spot and, I wasn't nearly as good a player as those guys, but he wanted to go a kind of different direction. And uh, he was just looking for a young guy that can up and move and was eager to, to get to work. And uh, Brian said, man, you should really look at my, my boy. I think he might be exactly what you're looking for. He's done a pretty good job down at Augusta. It, it worked out and spent some time with Nate and Coach Weissel at the Times on staff and the guys liked me, and they brought me in and welcomed me with, me with open arms, man. And I had a chance to be a part of the two most successful years in school history, my first two years. And uh, I didn't take that lightly and, and the opportunity that he gave me. Uh, and when Nate went on to Alabama, you know, Coach Weissel got the job, and I was super excited about staying and working with him and expanding the role even more. And so our thing has been to just keep this thing rolling from what Nate, even back to Coach Hurley, kind of got going. Nate took it to another level. And our, our, our goal now is to keep this thing rocking. So I'm really excited about where we are and kind of the trajectory of the program. Can you talk a little bit about like your role now there on the staff? Uh, so Nate started this thing and, and several people around the country are doing it. Uh, where they're going kind of offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator kind of scheme. And it's interesting because we had a lot of people calling us in the offseason saying, man, I heard you guys do the kind of offensive, defensive coordinator thing. Tell me about it. You know, how does it work for you? You know, and uh, I think we were able to kind of get a couple other people to, to switch over, but we kept it rolling. Uh, and I've been working pretty much with the offense uh, the last several years and, we kind of tackle it that way, kind of the football mentality where everyone's hands-on, but we all kind of have our, our specialty that, that coach directs us in. And I've been kind of tasked as the, the quote-unquote offensive coordinator, I guess, and I, I really enjoy it. I really do. It's kind of funny to me that – because I, I, too, get that. That's how we do it at our school, and uh, the head coach is in charge of the defense. I'm in charge of the offense. I know that's kind of like against probably traditional. You have the head coach, especially it's hard for my players too. When they come in uh, early on, I was standing up there like coaching and I'm talking, I'm leading, you know, some of the offensive stuff. And after a while you could almost get the sense they're like, 
looking at the head coach like uh is he supposed to be doing this much like what, what's going on here aren't, aren't you the head coach uh i don't know how you felt i was my head coach was out for like a week week and a half this this year and so i had to be in charge of things and man it was a it's a different way of thinking and your mind's like a thousand different directions I feel like it allows me to focus on on one thing in particular. He's able to kind of zero in on one thing, and it almost makes us better as a staff. Do you feel like that's the case with you guys? Absolutely. Uh, I think the one big thing with it is, uh, you know, having a, a boss man, you know, like both of our bosses that uh, are confident in our abilities and then they trust us. And, and Coach Weissel definitely is that to, to the highest degree. He gives us our tasks. We go about it and he oversees us and, you know, and, and he does a really good job of managing us and we know exactly you know what he wants, what he's looking for. And he lets us run with it. And I think that's going to go a long way. And, you know, one day I hope to become a, a head coach and uh, he's really helping prepare me for that. I think it takes a special coach. It takes somebody who's like confident and comfortable in their own skin I do also think that takes a, if coaches are thinking about doing something like this. I do think it takes on the part of your assistants, like a trust and a loyalty that you have, you do really have your head coach's best interest at heart. And, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing, but like talking regularly with him to make sure you're doing what he wants. But I really appreciate my head coach. And I already get the sense from you, like just the, the lack of micromanaging has allowed me to kind of really flourish and better prepare me for maybe that day when I'm a head coach. You've kind of feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, it, it makes me feel more confident knowing that, okay, he's giving me the rubric. This is exactly what I want. Mm. This is how I want it done. Now I'm confident that you can, your job is to get that done. And uh, it helps with my confidence and, you know, it uh, really, gives me something that okay i know that we we have to get this done we have to get it done the right way and at a high level to help our team be successful so uh, i really take pride in that role uh okay so let's talk about like your offense if if somebody had never seen you guys play before how would you describe it to them mm, great question uh in, in simple words uh fast but efficient we, we want to take the 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 first really good shot that's available so we we take pride in that because you know a lot of people play fast they talk about playing fast but i think the efficiency factor of it is what kind of gets left by the wayside sometimes so and we when we talk talk to recruits when we talk to people about our offense you know we let them know that okay not only are we the fastest team in the mac but we're also one or two in assists every year as well as points scored so that's telling you that Okay, we're playing fast, but we're being efficient and taking good shots because we're assisting, we're sharing the ball, we're getting great shots, and we're scoring a lot of points. So if I had to, to sum it up in three or four words, I would say fast, efficient, and uh, sharing. <laughs> All right, so if I've got a coach, because I, I guarantee there are a bunch of them that are listening that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> their thought to how that's going to happen is, I'm going to go out there and say it a link my guess to run quicker up and down the floor and share the basketball surely it's not that simple though it, it, it's not that simple so everything that we do in practice is predicated on speed so when we do you know your traditional two on one three on two two on one your your 
your a lot of people call Martelli drills. We we play it with a seven second shot clock, hmm. but we're going to be on their butts about taking bad shots. So we we try to when we work two on one, we do a lot of two on one stuff, just making reads three on two, and we try to do it at a really fast pace so that the carryover. We're really big on carryover. It is at the highest level once we get into five on five and once we definitely get into playing someone with a different color uniform on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a build up and we train to it every single day, kind of in everything that we do. So yeah, it's definitely a process, man. It, and it takes a while to get used to. You have to be in unbelievable shape and you, you have to, to be willing to play just as hard and fast on the defensive end as well. So as fun, as appealing as it sounds, it takes a special kind of guy to, to actually be able to to carry out the task. And then for sharing the basketball, what I found that typically means is we are able to teach our guys to read defense, primary and secondary and help defenders and make the right read. Is that the way that you describe it? And if so, how do you teach that? That's exactly how we describe it. So every day we have a, a bank of about 10 to 12 different drills and variations of putting guys in what we call blood situations. And blood is, boom, I beat a guy on direct drive, and now we're playing two-on-one. Like we, we call that blood, and you go and finish the play. So we manipulate blood from all over the floor whether it's full court session, whether it's drive from the corner and we're um, simulating a guy getting beat baseline and the defense has to completely rotate. We do a lot of that stuff four on three. Uh, every single day, a third of our practice is dedicated to making those reads, getting guys used to being able to execute when they're in blood situations. And we do it with all the guys. So we, we put the fives up there, the fours, the ones, because we want everybody, if we're able to get out and get a steal early, and now we're playing three on two, we want all the guys to feel comfortable with being able to finish those plays. So it's a huge part of our skill development and then our team skill every single day. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to find out more. How important is spacing and where are players spaced as you start your offense? Uh, We always want a a rim runner and... Ideally, hopefully it's a big guy, but if, if our shooting guard takes off or if our point guard takes off and our shooting guard is, is leading the break, our, our point guard can run to the rim. So we always want a rim runner. We're going to fill both corners, and we're going to fill the slots nice and high and wide. 
similar. We took a lot of that stuff from Houston Rockets a few years ago. Then Tony's kind of last year. And, uh, it, you know, in a lot of NBA games, those are the kind of the spots that those guys feel. And uh, we think it puts a lot more pressure on the defense because they're spread out. So we really want skilled guys that can make plays in all four of those spots. Uh, a rim runner that you have to kind of guard in that area. And, and guys that can make shots. Because now if you can make shots, you're not helping off that corner as much. And there's more space to drive and get downhill. But the spacing, if we start, when the guys come in June 15th, We'll have big X's on the floor, big X in each corner, and big X high past the NBA three in each slot. And we teach it from the ground up from day one. Do they have a hard time with that? I've found that the spacing, if you don't start with great alignment, the rest of your offensive possession is doomed. How difficult is that for guys? Or is that something that by the time you're ready to go five on five or four on four and, you know, September or June, they've got a pretty good grasp of it because of the work you do in the offseason. Yeah, they get a pretty good grasp of it, but like you said, it, it's not easy. So we literally use those spots on the floor from day one for everything. Talking about shooting drills, talking about delivering passes, driving and from there. Like we, you, we hammer that in their head from day one and kind of everything that we do. That way we can kind of build it slowly. And now by the time that we get going in September, October, hopefully we don't even need to put the exit down because they're naturally kind of flowing to those spots. But that's a huge uh, – I can't think what NBA team it is right now. But they were uh, – we did this whole thing. They were grading guys on spacing. Hmm. And they were coming out of games, coming out of practicing, giving guys grades, and literally – charting all the possessions of that practice and boom okay jamie spacing was a three today tony spacing today was a five he did a really good job filling the corners and filling the slots so on a lower level of that we don't have the manpower as, as they do in the nba but we kind of adopted that and, and it, it worked well for us because we could bring guys in and show them possessions hey look at this spacing here and it really helped us improve in relationship to your spacing do you find it difficult for guys off the ball to maintain the right kind of space that you want in order to allow the ball handler the room to yeah. either create something for himself or a teammate? Yeah, absolutely. Especially early and when it's new for guys, particularly high school guys, because it's kind of the, you know, when you go to a youth soccer game, like five-year-olds <laughs> and everyone's just chasing the ball. I was at one last night. I was at my five-year-old son game that last night. And everyone's, hey, pass it, pass it. <laughs> uh, I think guys kind of just naturally have that in them to yeah. kind of morph toward the ball. So it, it's a really tough sale in the beginning to if the ball's in the left slot, to that guy's thinking, why should I be in the right corner? I'm so far away from the ball. But as they start to understand more how the defense is rotating, what we can do by moving the ball, and guys moving spots, I think it sees, you know, they're able to visualize better the advantages of keeping that good spacing. So it takes a while. It does. But uh, once they kind of get the whole picture, uh, they really uh, enjoy it because it benefits them. It makes the game a little easier for them. What's the best way that you found to teach that? Is that just something that you 
show them on film or do you give them like a principle? You know, I know some, the old like circle movement, like ball being dribbled at me, push me away, ball being dribbled away from me, pull me behind. Is there anything like that you give them or how do you improve that? Because to your point, I, I joke, there's like the two greatest gravitational pulls in God's creation are the sun and a basketball and everything just (laughs) kind of like sucks to it. How, how do you, how do you drill that into their head so that they do keep the space that you need? A, a lot of video work and a, a lot of video work of really good spacing and then showing them spending three or four minutes before practice every day. If we just bring our computers down to the court, showing them the carryover, like, hey, you didn't feel the corner this time. So when I brought the ball down in the slot, now your guy could really help out the corner and be in a gap to help me trying to drive. So you, you see the difference in that as opposed to if you're five or six feet, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but now that defender has to change his position, and now I'm, I may have a better angle to drive. So mm-hmm. a lot of film work and just drilling it, stopping them there. Hey, pause. Look where you are. Look at your spacing. All right, look at the defense. Now, it's a lot easier for him to help there, but if you were eight feet more in the corner, now that's an easier drive. And just kind of uh, hammering that home and, and showing them as much as we can uh, I think that has been the, the most beneficial for us. I found that a lot of teams that run, pay space, use, utilize gaps, they're not typically ball screen teams. I saw that you guys are somewhere around like close to 11 or 12% of your possessions end in some sort of ball screen. Sure. Is that something that's integrated into what you do or is that more of a call or something that initiates the ball screen coming out and you kind of switch gears to something more ball screen and away from like pace space offense uh, a little of both ideally if if we have 70 possession in the game and 60 of them which very unrealistic we can get stops and just get out and run and, and score on uh d to o we're not calling any place <laughs> Well, we had a Rondo Segu this year did a really good job for us. So we ran a lot of drag screen for him in transition. But on the flip side of it, a lot of times we'll come down and we'll call a set that involves a ball screen. And with using those same principles of space, now we want to put a lot of pressure on the defense because now big fella rolls out. He comes and sets a great screen, screen on a wing. And we have the corner field, which we call a shake. And now he's rolling. Defense has to decide whether or not they're going to step over and bumping or leave the guy in the corner that can really shoot wide open, lifting up. So we kind of try to exploit that stuff and kind of integrate both of them. How do you teach, uh, because you just mentioned this, how do you teach transition into half-court offense? I still feel like a lot of college teams are separating those two things. And the the transition between transition offense and half-court offense Uh, there's almost like a pause or a stop and a shift in mindset of we were in transition. We didn't get anything out of this. Now let's run our half court stuff. Have you tried to go away from that? We have, we, we, we really have, man. Very seldom if if we're pushing, especially on a miss and we kick it ahead, we don't have an initial play. And then we go back kind of into like a, a secondary break look. Very seldom are we going to back it up and run, Ivo, whatever. We're, we're going to move it. We're going to cut. We're going to look for the, the, 
the first availability in the defense that we can take advantage of, whether it's quick ducking, whether it's getting by a guy hip and getting in the logo and, and spraying and making a play for someone else. We're trying to get the first bad closeout that we can attack. So on a made basket, a lot of times, boom, they'll look over. We're shouting out a play call, but very seldom on a miss are we going to deviate and try to play fast and then we have nothing and then back it out and call a whole new set. Do you feel like the secondary break has kind of flowed pretty seamlessly into your half court stuff? So there's no pause, no, you know, defense, offense going neutral. And now we got to start all start all over again. I, I think it has. It, it took a while to get there. But one thing we really preach, like, OK, they do a great job getting a stop. They outlet it. We kick it ahead. There's no play. So when it comes back to one of those slots, not holding the ball. So they're trained. Uh, we're either going to make a move and get by the guy's hip and try to get into the logo and, and make a play or we're moving it. We're waving through. Now we're opening a big, huge gap for the guy to, to drive and try to make a play. I hope coaches just heard that. There's a reason I asked that. We we tinkered with that this year. It was my biggest pet peeve was I felt like we were trying to push it on in transition. If that wasn't mm -hmm. there, then there there wasn't a long pause. There was enough pause that the defense was able to kind of gather and get set. And we we felt like we were having to we were back at the bottom of the hill trying to right. start our offense back up again. And we had so much more success when we tied those two things together. The defense wasn't able to get set. To your point, when that ball hit back to that slot, like we were going to something right away. Right. It was, you know, throw it one down or throw it across and cut or whatever. Uh, and and that dramatically improved the pace of our offense as a whole, not just like transition half court. And it's that that I want to ask. That was something that I learned. And I'm interested to hear when you go in charge of offense and that is your thing and you have to be thinking about that all the time and you're digging into it i found myself there were some things that i like i hadn't thought about or hadn't really like dug into but really i learned something that had a big impact on the way my offense played right. is there anything like that that you were like once i really got into this this was a game changer or these two or three things were game changers for the way that our offense played because I was able to kind of dig down and tie things together or eliminate something or add something into something we already did. I, I, one thing was making, making the game simple. Uh, so we run a lot of stuff, huge play card, a lot of different wrinkles on out of our kind of base stuff. And about halfway through the year, we said, hey, let, let's gear in on simplicity. Mm -hmm. And one thing that helped the guys a lot, uh, it helped us in our game planning. Uh, so myself and uh, Tom Fox, our uh, director of basketball operations, he's a huge NBA guy. So we we take a lot of things that simple things from games. We spend all night. I know our wives want to kill us. Like twelve thirty, man. You see that set that so and so just ran? I think that'll be good for us, or we can mm -hmm. tweak it X Y Z because of our personnel. But keeping it simple really that sounds weird because we're talking about keeping it simple and such a complex thing but that really really helped us tie things together more to your point and be more efficient we thought mm. it really helped us last thing i'll ask you but i have a lot of coaches that are interested in this kind of style of offense 
where outside of watching you guys play, but do you feel like uh, maybe there's somebody or some teams that have been a real help for you as kind of like, you know, the way that they do it, they do it really well. And you've been able to kind of gather a lot of information from them. Um, That's a good one. I, obviously I still uh, watch and communicate a lot and pick the brains of the guys at Alabama. Uh, Cause you know, they kind of spearheaded it. So follow those guys a lot, bounce ideas off of them, uh, give them suggestions. They give me suggestions. Hey, have you tried this? You know, uh, and a lot of NBA stuff, uh, Memphis, um, who else? Uh, a lot of t- Miami run a lot of things that are simple things, but really translate to the college game. And we feel like they've been really good for us. You know, obviously our player level isn't quite the same as a, uh, <laughs> but we, we've taken a lot of things that, that have really, we, we feel like helped taking, keeping our offense uh, at a high level. And trying to just be become student of the of the game still every day, man, and, and learn as much as we can. Uh, and, and a lot of people out there know what they're doing. And so, with uh, Colorado State runs unbelievable out of bounds stuff. Spend some time studying their stuff. Davidson's unbelievable special team stuff. Creighton. So we, we kind of uh, students of the game never feel bad about hey man i saw this clip coach man it was unbelievable you have 10 minutes to go on the phone and, and talk about it we'd love to pick your brain about it and the, the basketball guys out there even you know as busy as guys are that they they spend time and they like talking x's and o's and so i, I really enjoy that stuff and uh w- always willing to learn so I, i'm always uh trying to get better and, and pick guys brains because ultimately i think it'll, it'll help our our team I've never had an original thought in my life. I just steal from all the people that I, I enjoy watching. And you guys were one that we just kind of in prep for us talking today that I watched some and you guys do a, a fantastic job of, of spacing and attacking gaps and forcing the defense to, to help and then making the extra pass and then throwing it one more. And uh, so I know that not everybody has access to synergy, but if you have the possibility of getting on that or, or looking them up on YouTube, definitely check it out. Cause like I said, if you're interested in running this kind of style of offense, they're a great resource for that. I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I mean, this could go on for a really long time, but I want to be respectful of your time. So that's coach Jamie Quarles, university of Buffalo coach. Thanks for your time. Hey, thank you, man. I really enjoyed it. I like talking basketball, especially offense. <laughs>